Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran, and I am joined by our chief U.S. economist, Lara Rehm. Lara, welcome. Hi, thanks. Uh, so I have to break the fourth wall for a second. Um, we recorded a version of this podcast a little over a week ago, um, and we're all set to release. And then we all had broke the news broke of Russia invading Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and we did record an emergency podcast that day with some of our initial thoughts um, and reactions. And, and we'll get into more of that during this episode. Um, but I still want to talk about a lot of the things that we talked about on that episode, which yes. was really a mid-quarter check-in, um, all things markets and economy. But I think it's really important to to re-record it, it with this new, from our new paradigm. Absolutely. Right? Um, so thank you to our producer, Aaron, for uh, bearing with us through all of this. But um, but but we're excited to to dig into all of this. Um, so, Lara, let's start with, you know, the thing that has been top of mind for the last week, Russia, Ukraine. Uh, we in in our initial episode, the the first thoughts were, OK, may, probably not a major direct U.S. impact. Have your views changed now that we've had a week or so to digest all of the news? Yeah. And it. You know, I don't think there's anything um, more difficult than looking at just the horrible humanitarian crisis that's uh, developing there. Um, and I really, you know, I know you and I both um, are just thinking so much of um, of people whose families are in danger, of people who are on the front lines there. Um, and I, you know, I think to the extent that we just do want to sort of, um, you know, focus on just the U.S. economy, what the direct impact is. The impact on growth right now is not expected to be significant. Um, And by that, I mean, Russia is not a significant trade partner for the U.S. um, And a lot of the big Ukrainian exports like wheat and corn are not going to be a disruption for us because those are things that we produce um, inflation is something that may really impact our economy or continue to impact our economy. We've seen in the wake of the invasion, oil prices just skyrocket and they were already elevated. Um, grain, you know, some of those other commodities across the board have also risen significantly. So, you know, just really tough timing given that households were already experiencing price pressure in energy and food. Um, and, you know, I know that's something we're going to talk about in depth, but from my perspective, the really direct impact on the economy is less obvious and we may yet get some secondary impact, but that may take time to develop. Yeah. And, and unfortunately the things that you listed that we're seeing elevated prices on are some of those household staples, right? Gas and food and kind of the, the things you don't want to hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the the direct economic impact is much more likely to hit uh, Western Europe. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where we're just seeing some really acute pressure on electricity prices, on natural gas prices. You know, when you think about the global flywheel of growth, um, you know, that's a loss, a potential loss of momentum. China's economy is not at a strong place right now. You know, those are the impacts that may well circle back to the U.S. economy, but that may take some time to to be clear. Yeah. And I think I should have said this from the get go. We're recording on March 2nd. So, you know, line in the sand. It feels like it's been a really long time. It's been less than a week since the invasion happened. Mm -hmm. So still sifting through all of the potential outcomes. And it's a constantly evolving situation. So, um, 
so we will, of course, I think this is something we will be talking about for quite a while. You're right. Um, so I want to zoom out now, right? It, it's hard to think about what's gone on in the year before just this past week, but it was, it's already been a really busy year, right? A lot has happened. Um, we had a lot of market volatility before this. Um, we had a lot of interest rate volatility. We had a lot of talk about the Fed. Um, the Fed has made a few hawkish, even more hawkish pivots. Um, and we're going to get into all of that. But I think it'd be helpful for if you could just set the stage for us with, you know, your your growth forecast um, and for the rest of the year. Absolutely. Um, you know, the U.S. economy right now is looking really strong. Already in the first quarter, we got January household spending rising 2.1% in real terms, 1.5% gain in the month. Um, clearly, the recovery from the Omicron wave has been really sturdy. And we're just seeing this um, healthy growth in business investment, in business sentiment, um, and really across the board in a variety of economic activities. So, um, you know, the as we look ahead, the U.S. economy still has significant momentum in the fourth quarter, we're looking for real GDP of another 6%. Um, and for those strong numbers to continue in the first half of the year, the second half of the year, we are likely going to decelerate towards something that feels a little more pre-pandemic, your 2 to 3% range. I want to be um, address the fact that, you know, inventory accumulation it's a weird concept, right? I, you know, we think about the fact that our economy every quarter, we're really trying to measure how much we make. So if we make extra pens and we put half of them in a warehouse, that's inventory accumulation. We don't count that the next quarter right. when somebody buys them. <laughs> right. just so, um, but to avoid double counting. But, you know, inventory accumulation stands to really add to top line GDP throughout the course of this year. That is, um, to me, just as solid as any other kind of growth. I think that's something you may hear other pundits say, that inventory accumulation isn't, quote, real growth, unquote. You know, it's still production. It's still jobs. It's still output. So from where I sit, the economy has strong momentum. Um, the household still is looking very positive and um, is still spending actively. And at every wave of the coronavirus that we meet, we are we become better at managing through it. And I think the Omicron wave really proved that. Yeah, and I just think about the resiliency that we've seen. It felt like the Omicron wave kind of that's the perfect yeah, word. It, it's it has you know has never ceased to amaze me over the last couple of years. Um, and I think, but I'm glad that you that we started where we did because I think that inflation remains in the headlines. Um, I don't think you can you know, open a paper or, or go online and not see head, not or have see, dinner with your family. Exactly. Exactly. Literally. <laughs> my 11 year old is talking about <laughs> oh inflation. My, oh no. <laughs> You're raising them well over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so that clouds everything, right? We, we, we're talking so much about inflation and of course we're going to talk about inflation in a minute, but I think it's just clouds that really strong economic growth that we've seen. So, you know, thank you for setting the stage there, clearing that up for yeah. us. Um, I want to pivot to central banks. Okay. Um, this has been a, a big topic of conversation. Um, the rate hike expectations, the moves that we've seen have been pretty crazy. So I, I want to just tick through them just to show how wild they've been. So August 1st, we were expecting one federal rate hike. Markets are pricing in, in 2022. One, thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, markets yeah. were pricing in 
one Fed rate hike in 2022. As of December 31st, we were pricing in three rate hikes. A week and a half ago, we were pricing in six to seven, and a lot of people were talking about a 50 basis point rate hike in March. Um, Even just yesterday, we saw hikes being priced out. We were at five hikes, and now we're back between five and six. So it's just moving so, so quickly. The Fed is moving in, or is meeting, I'm sorry, in Freudian slip maybe. Um, The Fed is meeting in two weeks. Um, We heard from Chairman Powell today in, in congressional testimony. So, you know, walk us through what do you see happening at that March 16th meeting? So, you know, I think Powell really made clear today that they were pretty set on raising rates at that meeting, 25 basis points. Um, I think the name of the game for the Fed speakers is going to be trying to remind markets that they have long run flexibility. Um, There's going to be no autopilot (laughs) on this rate hike cycle. But that said, right, think back to the Fed's sort of dual mandate, right? Full employment and controlled inflation, which they define as sort of averaging 2%. Well, both of those are unemployment rates 4%, so well below where they would consider full employment. And inflation's 7.5% right now. Both of those are strong green lights that they should be raising rates. And Powell's message today, and it's been his message, has been the economy can take it. Our economy is looking solid. It's got positive momentum. And this is the appropriate policy response to really just inflation that is arguably um, surprised them at every turn and being higher than they've expected. It's really come on like a freight train. And it's not, I th- you know, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's going to keep political pressure on the Fed to do something about it. And I want to clear up. So do you think the events of the last week change anything when it comes to the meeting in a couple of weeks? No, I don't. And we did have that testimony this morning. And I actually really see sort of the first half of the year still evolving as we expected with a rate hike in March, in May, in June, um, unless we really get just such acute market volatility Um, But so far, um, this sort of what I view as a more rational level of uncertainty being reflected in markets, um, I think this really gives the Fed the um, ability to focus on underlying economic fundamentals, which are pointing to the need for higher interest rates. So that brings up another question for me, though. I think back to 2018 when we saw the Fed, that was the last Fed hiking cycle the fourth quarter of 2018 ended up being the tail end of that cycle. We saw a lot of market volatility and then the Fed stopped hiking and then eventually cut rates, you know, I think three times the next year. Um, We don't really have, we didn't have inflation then, right? We didn't have the luxury. We had the luxury possibly of being a little more flexible then. Um, We're facing 7% inflation right now. So does that change? Should we see more market volatility? Does that change the Fed's calculus at all? So- Two separate answers to that question. First of all, the swing that we have seen in rate hike expectations in this cycle versus last cycle is very different. Um, and of course, inflation just really, you know, erupting from really every major sector of our economy is a radically different situation that we've experienced in the last 40 years, right? This is the Fed's nightmare <laughs> that 
We're seeing, you know, inflation circle back into wage gains. It's starting to kick off sort of, I think there's concern that it will kick off this inflation wage spiral that they want to try to take the um, wind out of. They want to try to decelerate that cycle. So very different situation from what we experienced in 2018. I think, Kara, an important part of this is the discussion of quantitative tightening. Beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I was at next. Um, so let's just, I, I think of the Fed sort of, you know, I think of the Fed rate hike cycle in three sort of steps right now. The first step was to take their foot off of the gas, right? I'm going to use a car analogy. Let's take the, take their foot off the gas. And that was when they sort of stopped quantitative easing. That was the emergency uh, measure that they put in during the depths of the great lockdown that we had in 2020. And they've kept that in place. So take your foot off the gas, stop quantitative easing. That winds down mid-March. The second step is putting your foot on the brake, right? Hitting the brake. Those are the rate hikes. And the third part of this removal of this rate hike cycle and this shift that the Fed is doing is what I would sort of compare to steering towards an uphill. It's an additional way to slow us down and it's quantitative tightening, which is shrinking the balance sheet by allowing those excess accumulated assets to start running off by not repurchasing them. And that is truly a black box. What do we mean by that? When we look at, talk about Fed rate expectations, we have a futures curve that clearly shows what markets are expecting. We don't really know what markets are expecting for quantitative tightening. The Fed hasn't given us, they've talked about June. They haven't given us any framework for that. Or um, so it's very hard to know what markets are pricing in. And finally, um, the last time they tried this, I mean, you talk about 2018 was the last time they tried this didn't end well. <laughs> so I think, you know, when we look at volatility right now and we think about where it could come from throughout the year, to me, that is the glaring uh, concern that yeah. I have. And I think re reemphasizing the point that they've literally only tried to do quantitative tightening once before. Yeah. Or they've only ever, you know, had to do it once. So really another kind of unknown coming at us um, pretty, Absolutely. Quickly, pretty quickly too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we'll we'll all be watching those those minutes out of the March 16 meeting to see if there's any sort of indication there. Yeah. Um, so, Laura, I want to talk. We talked about the Fed. We're talking about the short end of the the yield curve, right? The the Fed funds rate is really the anchor of the yield curve. Mm. I want to talk about down the longer end. We've okay. seen long term rates extremely volatile this year. Um, we saw the ten year cross two percent for the first time since 2019 a few weeks ago. Um, we, after the Russia Ukraine invasion, we, the 10 years fallen, I think maybe 30 basis points, something like that in that kind of flight to quality. Um, walk us through some of the dynamics, if you will, starting back in January, you know, what has been driving long-term rates this year? Is it a Fed reaction? Is it not, you know, all right. of that? Walk us through some of yeah. that, if you will. Well, so, you know, just remember back before the pandemic, we had real interest rates right around zero. You had the 10-year around 1.9%. You had inflation around 1.9%. Inflation expectations were 1.9%. You know, all of it sort of meant real rates were zero. It's low. It's too low for 
um, a healthy sort of savings dynamic to develop in a country. Um, but that's where we were. And then since the pandemic, we've really had deeply negative real interest rates. And so I think there's a natural correction back towards zero that took place as the Fed, um, you know, I think walked back a lot of these emergency liquidity measures and the markets, you know, looking at solid growth, looking at positive growth momentum, sort of are moving back towards, you know, better health, better balance. And that um, really caused uh, long-term interest rates to, to recover significantly. It was really a move in real interest rates. And, you know, I, there's no doubt in my mind that were it not for this just exceptional geopolitical shock, the tenure would be higher than it is right mm -hmm. now. We would be above 2%. Um, and I think as, you know, we start to see the Fed rate hike cycle take more on more traction, um, we long-term rates may yet recover. But right now, you're seeing um, concerns about U.S. growth keeping 10-year interest rates down. You're seeing concerns about global growth impacting U.S., uh, the U.S. 10-year and flight to quality. I mean, they're all related to each yeah. other, but they're specific um, there are specific ways that the yield curve reflects the global financial conditions. And this really, this severe flattening that we're seeing right now, I think is really reflects global growth concerns and flight to quality, not mm -hmm. just what we're seeing in the U.S. So you just brought up the flattening yield curve. Um, and this is something, this is an indicator that we watch very closely, right? It's really remarkably reliable that the yield curve has inverted about a year before each recession. Um, I, I still think we talk often about I, about what happened in 2019, the yield curve inverted, and then the pandemic happened, and just how crazy of a coincidence that was. I, or was it? I mean, yeah. at least I hope it was a coincidence. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, but, you know, that one is, is just crazy to me. So, you know, what are you seeing in the yield curve right now? It has flattened significantly. Um, is it sending you any signals right now? It's flattened significantly. Um, it sends me the signal that markets are very nervous about growth and global growth prospects. Um, again, more so global than the U.S. Um, but until the yield curve inverts, I view this as more of sort of a broad sentiment indicator, not really an indicator of an imminent recession. And just a reminder, when the yield curve inverts, it means that 10-year rates are lower than, say, two-year interest rates or the Fed funds rate. Um, and when that, that has reliably occurred about a year to 18 months before we get a recession. Uh, so right now, the yield curve is still positively sloped. I think at last check, it was like 35 basis points. It's flat. Don't get me wrong. But it can stay kind of flat like this for years at a time. We recently saw that 2000, mid 2017 to 2018, it was flat um, right around where we are right now. So um, all that's to say, um, until it really goes negative, I'm not hitting the panic button about a recession at all. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> one, one less thing to worry about. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I want to know where you see the 10 year going for the rest of the year. I think Coming into the year, your forecast was for 2%, maybe towards the end of the year. We hit that a little sooner than you expected. The moves of the last week have have been, you know, put you back in line with your forecast coming into the year. Um, 
not for a good reason, obviously, but where do you see things going from here? Yeah. And I mean, let me just also say that so much of what I had expected to happen in 2022 seemed to have been front loaded in the first six weeks of 2022. It's been a long year. It's really been. <laughs> it's been a long two months. It's hard or to year believe it is. it's only March 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, you know, my, um, I have been very cautious in expecting long term rates to rise. And I think something that I is so critical to remember is that when the Fed raises rates, long term interest rates tend to rise somewhat but do not match Fed funds rate hikes one for one. Back in the 2000s, we had a 525 basis point rate hike cycle. The 10-year rose 100 basis points over that time. In 2016, 17, 18, the Fed raised rates a total of 225 basis points. Once again, the 10-year only rose 100 basis points. So, you know, I do think it, it's total, it's, um, I do think, you know, we expect the 10, I expect the, sorry. So I do expect the 10 year to uh, push higher, um, but it will lag the increase that we see in the Fed funds rate. And the 10 year typically peaks early um, in the rate hike cycle. So that's another thing to, I think, keep in the back of our minds when we look for, some sort of renormalization in long-term yields. I mean, the biggest question I get is inflation's at seven and a half percent. The last time inflation was this high, the tenure was at eight and a half percent. And what's changed right now? And it's all of the same factors we've been seeing. Demographics, low global growth, low potential U.S. growth, and, um, you know, negative long-run interest rates around the world. And add to that, this additional geopolitical uncertainty. All of that is just keeping U.S. interest rates low. And boy, that is just crushing the returns, the real yeah. returns of yeah. every investor well, out it's, there. It's awful. It's also driving, it, it's really has been the driving force of markets this year. You know, we're seeing yes. prior, I'm talking prior to the geopolitical tensions, we saw cascading effects throughout markets because of these interest rate um, increases. So, you know, I mean, high, high yields have risen, under, high yield spreads have risen. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So something, I, yeah. another thing, talk about something that everybody's watching is a bellwether for, um, market function. Like yeah. I think high yield spreads are, are top of the watch list absolutely, there. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, we hear high yields had, it's one of its worst, I think it's the worst start to the year ever. Um, but if you actually decompose that move, we're seeing that the, uh, highest rated bonds have underperformed significantly. So this is, and I'm, again, I'm talking pre the last week and we can go into the last week as well, but um, atypical of a typical risk off environment. So in that kind of environment, you expect those triple C bonds, the, the riskiest, the lowest rated assets mm-hmm. to underperform. We're seeing them outperform pretty significantly. Um, so that really tells us that High yield is also, you know, credit is really moving because of this rate story, because of these. But over the long term, we also have done a lot of analysis on this. You can tell this is where I spend a lot of my time. Um, You're getting very excited. I I I like it. I just perked up in my seat. Um, (laughs) But over the long term, it's really credit fundamentals that win out. And we just talked about how the economy is on really solid footing. Yeah. Revenue, earnings growth, really solid. Default rates are below 1%. 
fundamentally, credit has a very solid backdrop. Um, and we do expect those that rate impact to be near term um, and that over the long term, high yield has been extremely resilient. It, you know, earnings too, when you look at equities, I think that's mm-hmm. something to keep in mind as well. Absolutely. You know, Andrew Kors just wrote his piece on, yeah. um, you know, piece. equity markets during rate hike cycles. And mm-hmm. I loved one of his subheadings was earnings can take a hike. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like looking at earnings sort of three years out after a rate hike cycle starts, you know, every rate hike cycle of the last seven, there's been a positive trajectory there. So right. I think- you know, the Fed raises rates when the economy is doing well and we yeah. are back in that situation. Yes. So, you know, we're in that, we're in this part of the cycle where the economy is doing well, but because of policy, financial markets are feeling the volatility. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's, that volatility is something we expect, unfortunately, to kind of remain for a lot of the year. Um, and And things are changing really quickly. So we will be You'll be a constant uh, presence on this podcast this year. Fasten your seatbelt. It's gonna yeah. be a gonna be a difficult. Oh, seatbelts again with the cars. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, now we have to bring up the the really big thing that's changed in this oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you followed, if you've listened to any of our podcast episodes over the last year, you know that Lara um, has been watching inflation numbers very closely for a very personal reason. She had needed to buy a car. Very unfortunate <laughs> timing. Um, but you did it. <laughs> I did it. You know, February retail sales should also be significantly uh, higher nice, because nice. that was my personal contribution. Yeah, well, congratulations. I, I forgot I was so grumpy about it in past podcast episodes, Kara. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a better mood now. I, I've got a, I I mean, bought American. I it it impacts us all. <laughs> Um, well, very exciting. As much as I will miss our rides to work, um, I used to pick you up sometimes, but you know, I can't drive in your neighborhood. It's, it confuses me all the <laughs> one ways in the closed streets. Um, so I'll miss those car rides, but I'm very excited for you. <laughs> well, Kara, I hope we'll still get to carpool occasionally. I think we can make that happen. We do have a lot of events coming up yeah. in the next month. March is right around the corner, right. isn't it? International Women's Month. It sure is. I think yeah. we have a lot of women in wine events and I'll ask for a ride for those. I mean, we have... <laughs> We have webinars. Yeah. We have the women in wine events, which have been so successful. I'm really excited. I feel I like too. this is and this is the first year anniversary of your podcast. Exactly. I think our first ever, and it wasn't even a fireside branded show. Um, our first ever show, I think, was on International Women's Day. I mean, I don't that, think I could even go back and listen to that. But <laughs> how far we've come. <laughs> More importantly, we need to celebrate that too. Absolutely. So there's oh, going to be yes. a lot yes. to celebrate in March. A hundred percent. It's going to be great. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Great events. All right. Well, thanks so much, Lara, as always, for joining us. Um, we will have you back on. There's going to be plenty to talk about um, for the rest of the year. Um, so really excited to uh, to have you along for the ride. Absolutely. Thanks again, Kara. <laughs> thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they're available. 